This is episode 46 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, January 31st, 2023. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the angry programmer with a mic, Brian Bemrose. It's already had one, my one screw up trying to start this show. Uh, I said 2022. It is January 2023. The last Angry Tech News, number 45, was December 28th of 2022. So this is my first one of the year. I have to get one in today. It's the 31st so that I can still claim that I'm doing at least one per month. Otherwise, I wouldn't have one at all in January. Anyway, uh, I know that some of you, at least the people who didn't get just get to uh, listen to my sound test with Rick Astley, uh, are maybe happy to learn that things are stabilizing a bit in my life. Uh, they're not necessarily getting better. We're still uh, well, it's not that important. But what I can tell you is uh, I, I've found a way to start making time to podcast a little bit more regularly, I hope, which means Bemlet. For example, that I'm going to need more of your signature rants, because uh, if you've ever listened past the end of the outro song on one of the Angry Tech News, you know that every once in a while, another Bemrose comes on and gives a rant that is not usually the kind that I would give. But uh, anyway, the reason I'm doing this live right now is uh, that so that I have a deadline. Um, the live show isn't really the main purpose here, but I have determined uh, in my ADD addled mind over years and years and experience that uh, I don't do well without a deadline. So setting a time for live is, is how I set a deadline to make sure that I get this show ready and out on Tuesday. When long ago, I promised you that Tuesday was the day for the show. Motivation works like that. If, if I don't have the deadline, other things can get in the way. So for at least a little while, I am going to make a strong effort to do this show live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Left Coast time. Convert that to your local weird time zone, however you want. The only time zone is Pacific. Suck it, East Coast. Anyway, uh, on the No Agenda stream at noagendastream.com or as Adam Curry likes to say, trollroom.io. Uh, don't feel compelled to listen live. I'm probably not going to give it a lot of fanfare. The podcast is still the main product. I'm just using this for the purpose of tormenting the silly people who would otherwise just be listening to the stream in the middle of a Tuesday and going, what the hell happened? I was listening to that podcast. Well, what happened is I'm doing a show. From the removed from digital reality department, we're going to start with some really old news. As a matter of fact, this one happened only a few days after the last angry tech news back at the beginning of January. That's right. CES 2023. I hope you didn't think I missed it. Um, I mean, it, it's an old show and I realize this coverage is late five weeks late. In fact, however, it, I, I Okay, I get it. You probably don't care about CES right now, but let's be honest, nobody really cared about it when the show was in progress either, but it's a lot of fun to make fun of, so I got you some coverage. Uh, CES, by the way, formerly known as the Consumer Electronics Show, but they renamed it, did you know, just to CES because they decided it's not just about electronics now. 
I guess that was in a desperate bid to become relevant again after two consecutive years of tech conferences on Zoom, which will kill a conference. Well, it didn't have that many more people this year either. And uh, you'll find out why in a minute. First up, have you ever wanted to put an Amazon Echo spy device in your bathroom? Well, the answer is probably no. And let's be honest, if you do want Alexa in your bathroom, you probably have one in your bathroom already. But the spirit of CES is to introduce you to gadgets that overcomplicate the parts of your life you never even realized you needed gadgets for. Introducing the Kohler Numi Smart Toilet. It contains, uh, among other things, there's a toilet there, but it also contains LED lights, speakers that connect to your Sonos music system, and a built-in Alexa, all built into the thing you shit on, sit on. Both. As well, it also contains all of the anemones found in an overly expensive toilet, including a front and back bidet, automatic flushing, deodorizing, an automatic bowl mister to control airborne poo droplets, according to the article, an air dryer uh, for your uh, the parts of you that get wet when a bidet runs, I guess, and a full suite of controls uh, controlling the bidet position, the temperature of the bidet water, the temperature of the seat, the power of the air dryer fan, presumably from light breeze all the way up to hurricane force. It has an ultraviolet self-cleaning mode, which is for sanitation and a light tan, a manual backup flush for those post-Taco Bell mornings, and a self-closing lid to help with house keep household harmony. All these features are controlled by a conveniently misplaceable wireless remote control or from the Kohler Connect app on your phone. Because let's face it, if you're the kind of technophile that buys one of these toilets, then of course you have your phone with you on the shitter. All of this is for the low, low price of $11,500 per toilet. The presentation is not, however, clear about a number of important questions I have about this toilet. First, Will the toilet receive automatic updates? It's a given that it requires an always-on internet connection, but the question is, is it going to prevent you from pooping while it takes an update? What will be the lifetime of such a product? Uh, toilets generally last decades, but brand new gadgets will last a couple years at most before they break. So are we splitting the difference? Are we going on? The, you know what? It's coming out of Silicon Valley. It's probably going to break within months, but that's okay. It'll be right after the warranty expires. Uh, and then, you know, other important questions like, will it automatically scan your um, uh, biometric data for health issues? Uh, will it uh, determine whether or not you're getting enough fiber? Will it determine, will it check your diet to make sure that you have the right amount of bugs in it? And finally, the most important question, given that your voice is not the part of you that is closest to the device, does Alexa respond to alternate wake words? Okay, listen. I was kidding about smart devices analyzing the contents of your toilet bowl and uploading your most personal health data to some Silicon Valley database, but damned if some company didn't actually do it. A startup called Withings created a sensor called Uscan, which goes in your toilet bowl and analyzes your urine. Then it automatically uploads that health data to the cloud, where it can be checked by an AI who can determine the exact time and manner of your death. Just kidding. It uploads to a database where the most likely outcome is your P data will be breached and stored on the dark web until some nefarious hacker figures out how to monetize it. The selling point to the device is that the attached app, of course, there's always an app, can tell us about our kidney health and whether or not we're pregnant or have a bladder infection. 
And we need this because we, as a society, have been conditioned for years to ignore the signals our bodies send us about whether or not it hurts to pee. So now we need an app to tell us or we might go unhealthy. I myself have never once looked at my pee in the toilet and thought, I wonder if I'm pregnant. But now that I know there's an app, I'll know for sure. In other Alexa news, Ring has a dash-mounted car camera available for pre-order. Cameras in cars are not new, but they usually point forward, not at the driver. This one, however, points back toward the driver. It is made for YouTubers and the hopelessly vain, but I repeat myself, who record videos in their cars. Just say, Alexa, record, to feed your ego, take your attention away from the road, and put it firmly on all those social media likes that you'll get just as soon as you get out of the hospital after your impending car crash. By the way, look out for that bus! Monoprice has come out with a 40-inch wide USB-C monitor at 3,440 by 1,440 resolution that supports HDR 600 and a bunch of other stats that I didn't quite understand or care to read. The idea is why run dual monitors when you can just connect one monitor that's twice as wide and takes up more desk space. Acer has released a similar curved monitor at 45 inches wide and the same resolution, and not to be outdone, Samsung has come out with their OLED G9 monitor at 49 inches wide, and they have a 57-inch one on the way at 5,120 by 1440 resolution. Samsung, of course, never one to be constrained by following accepted standards, has an app that you need to download in order to get the most out of your display. Other large high-def monitor products have been announced by LG, Hisense, Asus, etc., 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 at CES, because the tech industry is quickly becoming annoyed that monitor sizes have been stuck at 1920 by 1080 for 20 years and consumers continue to be stubbornly show no real desire to buy anything bigger. Taking home lighting to a whole new level, uh, the level being the ceiling, I guess, Nanoleaf has announced their Skylight product, an app-controlled LED ceiling light that allows you to select one of the 16 million colors for each of 40 color zones on the surface of the product. Wait, wait, these were invented 40 years ago. I think we call them pixels. Anyway, the app allows you to fully choose what colors are displayed in your house when you're not home and boasts the ability to automatically sync up with other Nanoleaf products you might have accidentally placed in your home. It also features an AI-driven system that allows it to sense the ambient brightness in your home and adjust the lighting level accordingly, meaning that indoor lighting technology has finally caught up with its main competitor in both features and color availability, a window. Next up, the Fluent Pet Connect, a series of large hexagonal buttons that your pet presses by stepping on. Each button has customizable symbols and a speaker in the button, allowing you to record a custom message to be played when the pet steps on that button. You record it via an app, of course. The idea with this product is that you can finally figure out what your pet wants, because somehow in the last 5,000 years of dog owners, we haven't had a clue. <laughs> we have no idea what our pets want until there's an app. Listen, a dog's needs are not complicated, and they're pretty damn good at indicating what they want. They want food. They want water. They want ear scratches. They want sex with your legs. Somehow, dogs have figured out how to communicate this long before the age of apps. But hey, now you can know for sure if you drop $160 to pre-order this product. Other product announcements from CES were further away. Uh, Aska revealed a flying car powered by EV batteries that's about five years out. Funny how all really amazing technologies that never arrive are always about five years out, no matter what the year. But it also, it's not just 
Not just powered by EV batteries, it also has a gas engine, so presumably so it doesn't fall out of the sky. Uh, you can, they say they can expect FAA approval for this thing as soon as 2026, although you can, of course, drop half a million dollars right now to pre-order one today. You will need a pilot's license from the FAA to fly, drive or fly it. Um, flying cars have been promised by one company or another ever since Doc Brown showed us a future in which every car is flying, and that was in the distant future, also known as 2015. From the tapping on the line department, a new vulnerability when talking on your phone. This one uses the accelerometer to detect vibrations caused by your phone speaker for eavesdropping. The University of Dayton, New Jersey Institute of Tech, Rutgers, Tamu, and Temple, researchers from those places have come up with a mechanism that has a 98.66% accuracy in detecting the gender of who's talking on your phone, 93% in or accuracy in determining the speaker who's speaking, and a 56% accuracy at actually detecting the words that are being spoken. Uh, in particular, they've gotten pretty good at detecting the, any numbers that are read into a phone. For example, if you read your credit card into the phone speaker, they can use the accelerometer to determine your uh, credit card number. Lots of studies have come out on how to eavesdrop on a phone's microphone, but this one is specifically learning to eavesdrop on the ear speaker, which is a part of the phone that is generally not made available to apps and certainly not made available to apps while there's a phone call in progress. So if the app instead listens on the accelerometer, then I guess they've got you. Uh, the researchers had the most success on the OnePlus 7T and OnePlus 9, uh, newer phones have much better accelerometer resolution. However, Android 12 plus has a system limit on how often you can pull the accelerometer, which they said limited their resolution. Uh, gender and speaker detection, however, was still over 90% at the maximum system allowed resolution on Android 14. And even modern Androids don't require permission to pull at a lower rate. So just in case you thought that talking on your talking device was safe, not if you have apps installed. From the downloadable vulnerability department, the global app economy, you know, you can tell this story is a, this, this show is a little bit about apps. The global app economy has slowed for the first time since last year. Spending on apps dropped year over year in 2022 to 167 billion, which is 2% below the 2021 numbers, according to an annual report by data.ai. Downloads, however, are still up 11% year over year. So what this means is that you people are still downloading and installing apps. You're just not paying for them, at least not with money. And the other thing it's saying is that developers aren't making quite as many new ones. Admittedly, in a down economy, it's hard for developers to justify having 30% of your revenue stolen by someone who hasn't so much as updated their storefront in six years, let alone done anything to help you acquire new customers. But I'm not here to rant about Apple. It just happens without having to think about it. Uh, from analytics from another interesting bit from analytics from Sensor Tower. I know, I know you're interested. The top 15 apps downloaded in 2022. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. CapCut, not even sure what that is, WhatsApp, Snapchat, Telegram, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp Business, Spotify, Amazon, Flipkart, Twitter, TrueColor, and coming in at number 15, Netflix. So 
People are not downloading as many apps. People are not paying for as many apps. I assume people are finally starting to listen to me. Angry Tech News is finally catching on. Or it's the economy, stupid. From the Underselling Your Worth Department. A group of about 300 software testers from ZeniMax Studios have voted to unionize, forming the first labor union that Microsoft has had to deal with in the United States. Okay, this isn't a show for the political lessons, but... Okay, it's no surprise. Bethesda has been going communist for a while. They've been getting more and more woke as they get less and less relevant. The last game release from Bethesda of any substance was... Oh, 2015, if you count Fallout 4, some people don't, but if you don't, then I, I, you can't really argue. Skyrim, back in 2011, 12 years ago, was a pretty solid game. It was, in fact, so solid that the main thing Bethesda has been profiting off of the last few years is re-releases of Skyrim over and over and over again, hoping that people don't forget that they exist, and at least not entirely, before they can finally release Elder Scrolls VI, which, by the way, I checked, is currently in planning and has no release date. Labor unions, if you recall your history lesson, which if you went through public school, you probably don't because they don't teach that sort of thing anymore, formed during the Industrial Revolution in response to an imbalance of power where large companies had pretty much all the power in the negotiation between the worker and the company. Workers were effectively treated as interchangeable because uh, most of the big companies wanted what they wanted was labor. They wanted a, a strong back to swing a hammer or or work a mill or something like that. And wor- workers in a mill like that are interchangeable. Um, they can be swapped out at a whim. And therefore, if there's any troublemakers in your workforce, it's cheap to fire them and replace them with some fresh, bushy eyed person who hasn't quite seen the world for what it is and therefore doesn't know to get angry with the crappy deal they're getting. So they formed unions in order to make the, in order to give them some more bargaining power and cause the company to back off. And that's the trick about unions. They make sense for unskilled labor. What they do is when, when workers can easily be swapped down in exchange, they lose a lot of bargaining power and unions give that back. Unions protect the weakest workers at the cost of bringing the best workers down a little bit by, I mean, effectively it's, it's kind of a communal, it's a, a collectivist idea of make everybody the same. You know how that works. There's lots of people pushing that, but they have the effect of bringing up the bottom while lowering the top. Okay, fine. For skilled labor, however, unions don't make nearly as much sense. Individual bargaining is almost always better, assuming that you're skilled, which if, if you're if you're in a skilled labor position, you'd better hope you're skilled because otherwise you're not going to stick around anyway. The company, it tends to be with skilled labor willing to put up with a lot because it costs a lot more to fire and retrain skilled workers than it does unskilled. So. I guess what I'm saying, voting to unionize in a tech company tells us two things about how you view yourself. First of all, you believe that your job is unskilled and you can be replaced. And if so, you probably will be. In tech companies, it's almost certainly with AI. The second thing it tells me is that you have no self-confidence and definitely see yourself as below average because that's the only way that you're going to get raised up by a union. When all is said and done, if you're unionizing, what you really mean is you hope that Microsoft executives are as woke as you and believe in unions. It's a pretty safe bet these days, considering the noise coming out of the company where they fully support unionizing efforts and uh, and promise that they probably won't completely screw the union. But 
if they are doing their fiduciary duty as a corporation, they really have to think about firing the whole 300 people who are trying to unionize and bringing in people who haven't decided to unionize because that's financially better, which is kind of their their fiduciary duty to the stockholders. And besides, this wouldn't be the first time that Microsoft has fired testers. I know it seems like a long time ago for the modern short attention span, but at the very beginning of Windows 10, if you may recall, they fired all their testers, which is why you were the tester on Windows 10. Ooh, okay, that 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 story, that was more rant than I needed. I, I promise I won't have anything else we're going to rant about for the rest of the show. Anyway, let's try this again. From the gas-powered electricity department. Oh, crap. Electric cars. We're going to have more rants. The RAC in the UK... And I think RAC stands for Royal Automobile Club, although it was surprisingly hard to find that acronym spelled out anywhere. So we'll just call it the RAC. Released a report, a report last month showing a 47% rise in the cost of charging electric vehicles due primarily to the increased cost of electricity. Example that they gave was the Hyundai Kona, which their fully electric version cost about 36 pounds to fill from empty at a public charging station. Uh, it costs less if you charge at home, and the but the the cost of charging is lower, but the rate of charging is much slower. Whatever, uh, a full electric battery on the electric Hyundai Kona gets you about 188 miles. The comparison they made is uh, the hybrid version of the Hyundai Kona, which runs on gasoline, which costs uh, only 33 pounds to make the same 188 mile journey, so three less. Although. Uh, they had to adjust that because filling the tank does cost more on the Kona simply because it has a much larger tank and can go more than 400 miles on a tank as opposed to the 188 you get from the electric. Part of the high cost in uh, was uh, taxes. There is a 20% VAT on public chargers in the UK uh, as opposed to only a 5% VAT on electric electricity at home. And there's a lot of people in the UK saying the reason people aren't using public chargers is they've become too expensive with a high cost of gas and 20% VAT. I mean, that's a perverse incentive from where, from where I stand. Anyway, I had this story ready last month when uh, it was a UK story at the beginning of January. Well, another one came out uh, just yesterday. In fact, uh, that this is true in the USA as well, according to a report from Anderson economic group, who determined that the average cost of driving a gas-powered car 100 miles in the United States is now $11.29. Uh, this even takes into account the crazy high Biden gas prices. However, even taking that into account, the cost of an electric vehicle for the same distance, according to their study, for 100 miles is $11.60. And that is assuming home charging. Uh, it's even more if you use public charging, an average of $14.40. Um, I guess this makes sense, some sense if you understand economics, that electricity comes mostly from fossil fuels and it takes extra step to convert the electricity and transport it, as opposed to simply putting the fossil fuels into the tank. It's yeah, yeah, basic economics, introducing inefficiencies. I shouldn't have to give this lesson, but again, public schools aren't teaching people economics anymore. Of course, economics also kind of go out the window when you count things like gas taxes, which is effectively price controls light perverting the incentives again, but still gas is becoming cheaper despite government's thumbs on the scale, I think is the lesson here. From the can't trust consumers department. Oh, still more electric vehicle stories. 
A group of Wyoming legislators has introduced legislation to phase out the sale of all electric vehicles in their state by 2035. No, this is not a copy of the California one. The California one, they are trying to phase out gas-powered one. Wyoming is responding by saying phasing out electric vehicles. They say the move will help safeguard the state's oil and gas industry. It's not a joke headline. The legislation does exist. I went ahead and read it. Uh, The reasons cited in the legislation... Batteries used in electric vehicles use critical minerals that we can't get domestically in the supplies necessary to move everyone to electric vehicles, meaning that we would become hopelessly dependent on China for our infrastructure needs. Uh, EV batteries are not recyclable or disposable, leading to the filling of municipal landfills and artificially crushing the oil and gas industry will have a negative impact on the economy of Wyoming. And by the way, if you think the idea of banning an entire mode of transportation is completely unprecedented, I do remind you that California is set to ban all gas-powered cars by 2035 and that Washington, Massachusetts, New York, Oregon, and Vermont all following their ban to the point of even referring to California's legislation in their own. The the legislation in the that passed the Washington House doesn't copy the text from California. It literally says... We are going to use the same requirements of California, which means if the California legislature decides to get even more stupid and change it, it suddenly changes for all those states. Anyway, Colorado, Pennsylvania and Minnesota are also trying to go that way. And Virginia tried to pass a ban on gas powered vehicles, but the recent political shift toward the Republicans kind of tabled that proposal. Anyway, in case you're wondering if the Wyoming legislature legislators are serious Or if Wyoming Republicans actually believe, like the left coast Democrats do, that taking away consumer choices somehow makes life better for people, the bill's author, Senator Jim Anderson, said this in an interview. I don't have a problem with electric vehicles at all. We're just trying to make a point. Anyone who wants to buy an electric vehicle should have the freedom to. But even if the bill, (coughs) sorry, but even if the bill is a tongue in cheek, nose thumbing at states who've decided in all seriousness to ban gas powered cars, The reasons that they gave are valid concerns that tend to be met with crickets by the EV fanatics. Oh, and in the interest of piling on, I have yet another electric vehicle story. No, I'm not going to play the sweeper every single time. The U.S. National Transportation Safety Board chair Jennifer Homendy has raised concerns about another trend with EVs, curb weight. Electric vehicle batteries are extremely heavy. All electric Hummers, she points out, weigh over 9,000 pounds. Uh, Batteries are getting larger in order to accommodate the longer range being demanded by consumers. Larger batteries mean more weight to the car. More weight to the car means that it takes more power to move all that weight, etc., etc. Heavier vehicles also do a lot more damage in a crash, which is a concern for the NTSB. Uh, Heavier vehicles also they point out, do more damage to the roads, which means higher maintenance costs borne by taxpayers, even if you have a light vehicle. Uh, The NTSB has, in fact, had to recently upgrade their crash testing equipment for mid-sized passenger cars in order to accommodate the heavier EVs. For presumably political reason, you know, given that her bosses are all in on electric vehicles, Homendy did not want to sound the alarm too loudly, but did note that, quote, We have to be careful that we aren't also creating unintended consequences. For example, more death on our roads. (laughs) 
from the smoking wires for a fix department. Okay, I lied. There's at least one more electric vehicle story. Man, I'm on a roll. Seattle City Light has warned that copper thieves have stripped the wiring out of eight of Seattle's public EV charging stations. Copper theft is not a new story. Thieves strip copper out of anything they can find. Wiring panels, live transformers. Yes, people have been electrocuted doing this. And then they sell the copper to scrapyards for its relatively high scrap value. Often this is to buy drugs, but in today's age, it might even be to buy eggs. Because of the high current involved, EV charging stations have a lot more copper than the average traffic light box or, or line level copper wiring. So more copper means more profit, more profit means more drugs or more eggs or more chickens or whatever it is that you buy with your ill-gotten gains. Ah, black markets. It makes you marvel at human ingenuity sometimes, doesn't it? From the Planet Doesn't Care department, and for my last story, we move away from electric vehicles on to other ways to virtue signal for a planet that really needs no saving. Microsoft, as you probably know, has a public goal of becoming carbon negative, water positive, and zero waste by the year 2030. You knew that, didn't you? I mean, they talk about it every time that they get a chance, not that anybody listens. Anyway, this is a tall order, by the way. Carbon negative, water positive, and zero waste. It makes you wonder how they find any time to make any software. Well, to this end, they've announced that the Xbox is the, quote, first gaming console to offer carbon-aware game downloads and updates. What this really means is that the Xbox, along with Windows, has added functionality now to download, quote, regional carbon density data and only force an update on you when the power comes from the most renewable energy. The priority is that Microsoft's priority here is they want the energy to be renewable. They don't seem to prioritize cost, which means, among other things, you might pay more for that renewable energy when it comes from only windmills or only solar power at 3 a.m., if they can prioritize updates for energy time, why can't they prioritize updates for my time? For example, do an update when I don't want to play. I, I've had that rant before. Or maybe, or here's a crazy idea. If updates are so incredibly expensive to apply in terms of energy and time and electricity, maybe Microsoft could, I don't know, try not giving me so damn many updates. I Okay, if you listen to any of my shows, you know my position on automatic updates. I'm just saying, uh, updates, you have to spin up the CPU, the network, and the hard drive in order to do. And then you run the hard drive and the network pretty much full out for a while. Well, not the hard drive full out, but the network. Anyway, it, it costs... Honestly, that's not that much. Not when compared to, say, spinning the GPU at, at, at a ma maximum nice toasty speed in order to play the video games. So your Xbox is not exactly the most green thing in the world, but they've taken one of the least energy intensive parts of this and made it green, I guess. The feature for now is opt-in. Uh, if you too want to signal that you're part of the energy solution, all you have to do is put your Xbox into energy saving shutdown mode when you log out, then the console will take care of the rest, which is absolutely the best kind of green virtue signaling because it takes basically no effort on the part who has done nothing more than change their icon on social media. Anyway, if you would prefer to have any level of control over your own device, well, don't worry. I'm sure that this mode will become mandatory on Xboxes for everyone soon enough. Many, many angry thanks to Brian Janak, 
Sir Sean of the Allegheny Valley, Curtis Peterson, Steve Edwards, Raymond Zorger, Rachel Zimmerman, Eric Rankin, and Sharky for not yet having canceled their recurring PayPal donations. I also greatly appreciate the boosts that come in using a Podcast 2.0 compliant app. There were quite a few of those, and I'm not going to list the names, mainly because my node went down partway through the month and uh, I had to bring it back and could not get them back out. So technical issues for the win, but I'm just going to say, Oh, you know, thanks everybody and not name you because uh, I'm, I'm not like every other podcast anyway. Uh, however, a couple notable boosts. Uh, there was one speedy bubble who boosted five fifty thousand sats via Podverse, saying really enjoy the show. Hope you figure out how to streamline things so that you can release it with more regularly regularity. Uh, me too, Speedy Bubble, me too. Also goes on to say, stay angry slash grumpy, long-time listener, first-time booster. Really appreciated. Really appreciate the 50,000. That might be the highest boost I've ever got, which is to say, you know, another zero on that, and we might start talking about real money. Uh, anyway, uh, and another notable one, uh, MRMR, is that Mr. Mr.? Uh, loved your music, by the way. Uh, sent uh, 674 sats via Fountain, and in the note, decided to alert me that Podcast Index actually has two entries for this show now. Uh, I went ahead and checked in on it. There is uh, uh, one of them is angrytechnews.com index slash feed and one is slash feed slash podcast. Uh, this is an artifact of WordPress. I only personally put in one of those URLs. Uh, WordPress, however, always generates an RSS feed for every entry on the WordPress site. And um, uh, much to my shame, I'm using WordPress on angrytechnews.com. I never submitted the second one. In fact, I don't think I've ever even mentioned it to anyone because I don't see any reason for it to exist. But uh, presumably some automatic scan automatically grabbed it and put it into podcast index. Okay, fine, whatever. Um, the only difference between the two feeds is that the WordPress generated one is going to include any non-eligible blog post that I put in or anything. I don't put the podcast tag in. I've never done that. So the two should be identical, but the one with the slash podcast is definitely the one you should subscri subscribe to. Um, the only other effect that I can tell of having two entries in podcast index is that it confuses poor fountain users who search for angry tech news and see two entries. Anyway, it would take effort to try to get the duplicate entry removed. I don't see the harm, so I intend to do nothing about it. But if you can bring up a really good reason that I should care, let me know, and I'll bother the right people to get it removed. Anyway, Angry Tech News is produced on a value-for-value -value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we don't charge you to listen. But we are funded by your donations. So, if you received some value from this marathon episode of Angry Tech News, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click on the donate button. Send what you think this episode was worth to you, whether it's $10, $50, or $10,000. <laughs> As if. Anyway, that's it for now. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the angry programmer with a mic. I'll be back next time with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the angry programmer, Ryan Bemrose, at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry, stay angry, stay angry.